Thank you. Good morning. Uh, I'm Terry. I've been a member of Al-Anon since October the 17th of 1983, and for that this morning, I, I think I'm grateful. <laughs> I may be more grateful about 11 o'clock. <laughs> um, thank you. I'd like to thank the committee for inviting us here this weekend. Um, Jim and I haven't been out of town on one of these for a couple of years, two years, and uh, we've had a lot of things going on in our lives that we'll probably share with you this weekend. Um, so it's good to be here, and it's good to be with you, and um, I appreciate it very much. Uh, Liz and I were talking on the phone from time to time. Jim's never home. Uh, he's out doing stuff when the phone rings, so Liz and I keep talking. And then about Tuesday night, you know, she called, and she said, well, everything's ready, you know, and I'll sure be glad when this thing gets started. And um um, the first speaker gets up, and I'm sure everything will go fine. And then she said, by the way, how long have you been sober? <laughs> and uh, so after we cleared that up, <laughs> and uh, I said, oh, don't tell him. Let him be a surprise. <laughs> so uh, here I am. I'm your Saturday morning um, uh, Al-Anon speaker. <laughs> And uh, before I get started, I'd like to tell you that um, I do love alcoholics, you know. It has never been dull since I've been here. <laughs> and uh, and I'm an Al-Anon who happened uh, to be raised on the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, and I love that book dearly. And I had a sponsor who said that the 12 steps of Al-Anon are the 12 steps of AA and that I was going to read the big book and find out about those steps and about how they worked. And uh, and so I do love AA, and I do love Alcoholics Anonymous, and I do love alcoholics, or I wouldn't be here this morning with you. Um, the big book tells me I'm supposed to tell you what it used to be like and what happened and what it's like today. And um, it's been uh, quite a journey, and I hope to take you in the next hour through that journey a little bit. Uh, first of all, <clears throat> um, first of all, I'll let you know that I was, that I'm really a Yankee. Um, Jim thinks anything over the Red River is the Yankee, and, uh, I was, <laughs> I was born and raised in a small town in southeastern Wisconsin. <clears throat> so I know about, uh, Midwestern winters. Uh, I was raised in a, in a family, and I'm the youngest of three children. I have <clears throat> two brothers that are older than I am, six and eight years older. And uh, growing up, you know, I'd watch them, and they always seemed like um, they were doing things that were a lot more fun. You know, I always wanted to be where they were. They had... Um, they were riding around on their two-wheelers when I was still on the tricycle and I couldn't get off the street, you know. And uh, and they had paper routes and and they were in high school and I was still in grade school and they were dating and their lives always looked a lot more exciting. And I thought, you know, my life's going to get started later. It's going to be later. And um, And I was always living out there in the future. Because I didn't really like where I was. It wasn't enough stuff going on. Um, I uh, grew up in a in a good Catholic home, 
went 12 years to a parochial school with with the nuns and and um it's a small town that I grew up in about 5 or 7,000 people and so I knew these people for 12 years went to school with them all the time and yet I never felt like I fit in with them you know I never felt like uh that I was comfortable with them you know and I was afraid they were going to find out who I was um and so I, I really didn't want to be there. Um, we were at church every time they opened the doors. You know, I learned to follow the rules. We uh, we never ate, ate meat on Friday because that was a sin, you know. And um, then they changed the rules later. I don't know what happened to that. <laughs> you know, I'm, I, we ate here last night, and they didn't have one piece of fish on the buffet. I don't know. It's Friday night. And uh, But that's how I grew up. And um, uh, I did not grow up in an alcoholic home. Um, we had wine usually for the holidays. And my mother would get out the good china and the nice tablecloth and make a nice dinner, and there would be wine on the table for Thanksgiving or Christmas. And that was the only time that there was any any drinking, if you could call that drinking, one glass of wine. And uh, <clears throat> I'm pretty sure that that there wasn't any alcoholism, because I remember one year when I was eight or nine, I went in the kitchen and my mom was fixing dinner and there was a discussion between her and my dad. And they were trying to figure out if the wine was okay or not. You know, they kept it in the cabinet in the dining room uh, during the year and they couldn't remember what year they bought it. <laughs> no, had they bought it just last year or was it the year before? And was it, you know, if it, if it was too old, would it turn to vinegar? And nobody wanted to taste it. So I'm pretty sure they weren't alcoholic because I think that it would not have, they wouldn't have worried about what it tasted like. And I don't think it would have ever gotten that old. So alcoholism was something I didn't know anything about. And I grew up uh, watching those those movies on TV. Does anybody remember those Doris Day Rock Custom movies? Aren't those great? They don't make them like that anymore. You know, and Rock Hudson was always dressed up and had his suit and tie on and doors, always had the matching shoes and purse. And, you know, they were, they were always falling in love and they were, uh, they were, they were doing it over cocktails. Right? And then they had the right glasses for the right drinks. And I thought, you know, when I get old enough, that's how my life's gonna be. You know, I'm gonna meet Rock Hudson of my dreams, and we're going to fall in love over a glass of champagne or maybe brandy in those big glasses with a little bit that you kind of swirl around, <laughs> you know, and I'd have on this great-looking dress. And uh, and one more time, you know, life's not what it turns out to be. Even Rock Hudson wasn't what he turned out to be. <laughs> so... So even Doris didn't get what she thought she was going to get. So I grew up in this kind of this fantasy. Um, and even though I had been raised in church and I was going to catechism classes, somewhere along the line, um, 
growing up, I decided that um, God was busy. He was busy doing other things. Uh, that he really wasn't interested in my particular problems. And I don't remember anybody ever telling me that. But that's what I came to believe. Uh, I grew up watching a lot of television, uh, as, as you know. And, and back in the 60s, you got to see everything on, on the news at night. You know, you got to see the Vietnam War. You got to see the assassinations. You got to see the racial disturbances and riots. And, and I decided that God was busy out there. And that I was supposed to take care of myself. That um, that he had given me this package deal when I was born, and and I'm sure mine was tied up with this pink ribbon, and um, in it was all the talents and and intelligence and common sense that I had that I was supposed to work with, and it was my job to open that box up and get on with my life, and so that's what I regulated God to. He was busy. He was tied up with bigger and better things than me. Um, and growing up, there was really about only one thing that I wanted to do, and, and that was just get married and have kids, you know. Um, I thought about five kids would be right, <laughs> you know. I don't know where I thought about five. I, being Catholic, all my friends were Catholic, and and they all had huge families, you know, 10, 12 kids. And I thought that was probably a little overdone, but, <laughs> I, you know, three, there was three in my family, and that didn't ever seem like quite enough, so I set on five, you know. I thought five would be a good number. Well, um, I got into high school, and I was getting ready to, you know, junior, senior year, and I still hadn't had a date, so I figured I needed to do something until he came along. So uh, I finally had a girlfriend fix me up with a date so I could get one before I got out of school, and um, so I decided, well, I'd go away, I'd leave that town, and I'd uh, I'd go somewhere else, and I'd go to school and, and kill some time. So uh, I got out of I got out of high school and I moved away to Milwaukee. Now Milwaukee was only 30 miles away, but you know you never we never went there, and it and it was huge. It was this huge city, and I remember clearly making the decision that now um, I was going to be different. That these are going to be new people. They didn't know me. They didn't know what I was like or what I didn't know um, and how ad inadequate I was and um, that I was going to be different. And I was going to, my life was going to get started. And I also knew this was going to happen because the state of Wisconsin very graciously decided that when you were 18, and the year I was 18, that you could drink. And for some reason, I connected that with finding Mr. Wright and uh, and living happily ever after, you know. The styles had changed, and they weren't wearing suits anymore, but still, you know, it was going to come together. So I took off, uh, went to school in Milwaukee, and started my life. And uh, and I started drinking, you know. With, that was part of of being in college and being away at school and and um and doing things and and being a part of life 
And I never thought anything of it. You know, even though that was not how I was raised, that just became a part of life. And uh, and it wasn't unusual for me to be drunk a lot of weekends. And I never thought anything of it because everybody was doing it. Um, I worked hard. I went to school. And um, and I started to accomplish things. And, and along the way, I had a, had a boyfriend. And I would, when I finally got a boyfriend, uh, I got him and we hung together for a couple of years. Now, it was never any good for a couple of years. It was really only good for a couple of months, but, you know, I never knew how to, how to quit. You don't want to hurt their feelings. And so I, I had one boyfriend for a couple of years and that went sour and finally ended. And then I picked up another one. Now the next one was a lot more exciting. You know, I, it's a disease of progression. And, and he was, he was just more fun, you know. Um, he was, he was not, uh, from the United States. He was from the Middle East. So he was, uh, from a different culture and a different background and a different religion and everything was different. And, and I didn't know, I didn't know anything about this. Um, he was also very, very jealous, and I realized that if only he knew how much I cared about him and loved him, he wouldn't be jealous. So there was something that I wasn't doing right, and I knew it was my fault, and I don't know how I learned to do that so fast, but I learned how to do it really quick. Uh, I also learned how to have to sit there for hours while he while he screamed at me about this, and I knew it was my fault. I knew it was my fault. And we had an on again, off again um, relationship for a couple of years, and uh, again I didn't know how to break it off. You know, we would break it off, and then we'd go back together, and we would cry, and we would make up, and. And we did it over and over and over. And um, he finally graduated from college and moved back home, or I might still be in Milwaukee breaking up over and over and over. <laughs> I don't know. God finally did something for me. He moved him. So, so here I am, and I'm, I'm, uh, I've decided, you know, that all this. This partying that I'm doing is, it's really taking a toll on me. I'm really, I'm really not enjoying it. I really don't, you know, I really woke up one day after a, after a wedding reception. And it was quite a wedding reception. And, uh, decided, you know, I really don't need to do that anymore. I really don't need to do that anymore. I feel bad after I drink that much. And, um, when I got to Al-Anon and I'd hear these stories, these AA stories, I'd think, well, maybe I'm alcoholic. And I had a, uh, had a friend in AA and she said, well, so how did, what do you, how did you stop drinking? And I said, well, I woke up one morning and decided I really, I really didn't want to do that anymore. And she said, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. She said, how did you stop drinking? I said, 
I said, well, I woke up one morning and I decided <laughs> that I really didn't want to do that anymore. And and um, she shook her head in disbelief and she said, you, you're staying out. I really... <laughs> I said, okay. Um, and that really is what happened. Um I'm still, I'm still going to school. I'm still working, you know, and I get different jobs and I keep thinking that if I have the right job, you know, my life will kind of come together. You know, the job that I have isn't quite right. So I'm doing that and, uh, and I'm really busy and I really don't know how I have time for these other relationships. And then, um, along came him. You know, and man, he was great. He was great. You know, and after that last one, this, I knew this was it. You know, he was, he was from Wisconsin too. He was Catholic. We were the same age. Um, and he had lots of big plans. And besides that, he treated me so well. <laughs> you know, Milwaukee is a really big beer city. And I, and when I, you know, I didn't like beer. <laughs> beer fills you up really fast. It makes you burp. You know, and I really didn't like beer. So I always had a hard time drinking that. And, um, and it would get warm. But you know what he did? He was, he was really, he was a very thoughtful person. We, he would order us beers, and he would drink his, and he noticed mine was getting a little warm, so he would finish mine for me so I could have a fresh one. <laughs> you know, where can you find a guy like that? Not just any place. And, uh, you know, it was great. And But there was, he had, you know, he was really a great guy, but... People were not treating him right. You know, and I felt rather put out about it. And um, he was in college and he had a lot of plans. And um, uh, those professors just, you know, his classes were going well, but he would drop some because, you know, they real those professors didn't really... That wasn't really quite the right class that he needed. And um, so we spent, uh, the last winter I spent in Milwaukee, it was not an El Nino winter, I tell you. It was below freezing, below zero for over 30 days it during January and it was just awful. And I do not like cold weather under the best of circumstances, but that was too much. And so in the spring we decided we were going to take a little trip over spring break. And we decided to uh, he knew somebody in Missouri, so we decided we'd drive down to Missouri. Well, you know, we're bundled up with our winter coats yet and we get down there and we get out of the car and it is beautiful. I mean, it is gorgeous, and it's warm, and there's flowers blooming, and the air is sweet, and I mean, it was paradise, right? So we decide this is really where we need to be. So we go back, and uh, I happened to mention to my 
parents that we would be moving down there together. And for some reason, my mother wasn't real happy about that. And um, uh, I thought, you know, I'm an adult. I can tell her what I'm going to do. And that really didn't go over too well. And uh, we're in love. Of course, we're in love. And uh, by this time, I have girlfriends that I've been in their weddings, and they're already getting divorced. Now, divorce is not a, not an option, you know, for Catholics. So I want to make sure this is going to work. So we're going to live together about a year, and then we're going to get married, just to make sure. And you know when you're in love, you don't really have to discuss everything because you're right on the same wavelength, right? (laughs) You know what he's thinking, he knows what you want, and you don't have to discuss a lot of stuff. So we moved down to Missouri, and we set up house, and, um, and I get a job, and I decide to go back to school one more time. And about five years later, I noticed we hadn't gotten married yet. <laughs> so I thought finally I'd mention it to him, and and not that I'm going to be the kind of woman who gives ultimatums. You know, I'm not going to do that. But. I gave him an option, you know, we can do it this year or forget it. And I thought that that was being pretty, pretty generous. And um, he saw it my way. We decided to get married. Um, I want you to know it was a great wedding. (laughs) I was, it was small and intimate and, um, and Doris would have liked it. We had a champagne <laughs> breakfast, you know. We had the right glasses and the food, and everything, and I looked great. And um, we got married in the Catholic Church, which is the way you're supposed to do it. Not that I had been going to church anymore by that time, but I decided that, you know, you need to do that. And this needs to be right. My life's going to be okay. I'm going to get this deal together. Um, and all those five years, I had been working a second shift job, and he had been working during the day. So we kind of we kind of passed in the night, and I decided to change jobs so I could work Monday through Friday during the day, and we were going to be together more. And <laughs> did you read ahead? <laughs> and we we took you know the the Catholic Church gives you a little class that they they ask you to take before they marry you. They want to make sure you're going to be okay. <laughs> and we took that, and they said we were going to be great. And um, you know we were old enough and smart enough to know what they wanted to hear, and they gave us you know an A. They said you all are going to be great together. So, uh, we got married, um, on Halloween. <laughs> and, uh, and it was, it was very nice. And, uh, we came home, uh, after about a week traveling around and, um, 
we set up house, you know, and this is going to be wonderful. Uh, he even went to church with me the first two weeks after we got married. <laughs> now, is this going to be good or what? So I decide, you know, okay, we're going to get married. We're going to be married about a year, and then we can start having the kids. And I decided, you know, really five probably had been overdone, but I thought two would be nice. You know, two would be nice. And one more time, I didn't really need to talk it over with them. After all, we'd, you know, we know what we want together. And um, so we didn't just have to discuss when or how many. And um, and I thought, finally, I'm in the place that I want to be. You know, this is where I want to be. And if you'll notice um, the calendar, what comes after Halloween is Thanksgiving. And I thought, this is wonderful. You know, I made this beautiful Thanksgiving dinner. I have the tablecloth on. I have the wine glasses on. And I'm thinking, it's going to be just like it's supposed to be. And uh, he came to dinner for Thanksgiving, and he couldn't eat it. And he was drunk. And I remember sitting at that table and looking at him and thinking, boy, have you made a mistake. And thinking that God had waited until I was um, trapped, until I was caught, and now he was going to get me for everything I'd done. And you don't think I'm going to admit I've made a mistake, do you? I don't even have all the thank you notes written. (laughs) And my mother knew I was making a mistake. You think I'm going to tell her? (laughs) No. So I decide that I need to make the best of this. And I get up on Monday morning and I go to work. And when they ask me how everything is and how's the newlywed, I say, I'm just fine. And life is wonderful. And it never occurred to me um, what alcoholism was. You know, I didn't know what it was. We talked about his dad being alcoholic. And we knew how he drank. And uh, I'm a nurse by profession, and I know what alcoholics look like. You know, they're the people that come in the hospital that have DTs, that we strap to the beds. And they're the ones that come to the hospital with cirrhosis of the liver, and they die. But they are not. It is not going to be the man that I marry. And I didn't know what alcoholism was. So we kind of rocked along a few months. And uh, in March, I decided that we're going to have a discussion. 
And I sat him down and I said, you're an alcoholic. And you need to go to AA. And I knew that because I read Ann Landers. <laughs> and dear Abby, and they always tell you they need to go to AA and the spouse, the wife, needs to go to something called Al-Anon and be supportive of your husband. So I had called and went through the phone book and I had called and I found out there was an AA group in town and I found out when the meetings were and I told him we were going. <laughs> and he did. And uh, I went to my first Al-Anon meeting and it was, it was love. You know, it was nice. The ladies were nice. And I thought that that program was just lovely for them. <laughs> and the only reason I went was to make darn sure he was in the other room and that he stayed there for an hour because they were going to fix him. And we went uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday that week. On Saturday, he had a car wreck. He was in the hospital. And... By the time he got out of the hospital, we never discussed his alcoholism again. And I never saw him take another drink. And I got sicker and sicker. You see, I'd come home from work, and I would look at him, and I would think, he's acting funny. You know, he's a, he looks funny. But he's been to AA. He knows he's alcoholic. He knows he can't drink. There's, I'd say, Terry, you know, you really are getting paranoid. You really need to give it up. Everything is fine. And this went on for quite a while before I finally um, found a bottle in the house. And I realized that the truth was he had never quit drinking. But I never also saw him ever take another drink. And everything he ever drank, he hid. And the more he hid his drinking, the more I hid it. And I started getting up in the morning and shutting the door on that house and going to work. And I lived one life out there, and then when I'd come home at night, I'd live another life. And it was important for me to get home at night and cook dinner and get him fed before he could pass out. You know, that was my mission in life. And I had a good night if I could get home and get dinner done fast and get it on the table and get him fed and get him in his chair to where he could pass out. And then I could relax and I could clean up the, clean up the dishes and settle in in my chair and my chair was here, and his was there, and the TV was next to him, so I could watch TV and watch him. <laughs> and he never did anything. I don't know what I thought he was going to do, but it was important to watch him. <laughs> when I got to Al-Anon, and, and women were complaining that their husbands had been out drinking, I thought, God, it would have been a relief if he'd been out. <laughs> Now, we always want what we don't have. And uh, 
And that was a good night, but most nights weren't quite that good. You know, a lot of nights he would come in and he would already, he would already be too drunk and he would pass out at, uh, before dinner. And I would get mad and I would take the food and I would throw it out. Or he would, well, the worst part is when he came home and he'd pass out in dinner. <laughs> and then I'd have to jerk the plate out and throw it out and get mad. You know, or if he didn't make it to his chair and he'd pass out on the floor. And the worst part, the worst part is when we had a small house with one bathroom. When he passed out on the commode, that was really rude. <laughs> you know. And... Uh, it was really bad night. And uh and I would get ready for bed and I'd be in bed and uh I would wait and I would hear him get up later. And uh and I would lay in bed and I would wait for the for the sound and I could hear those those tops popping open. And uh and I would lay there and I would cry. And then I'd pull myself together and I'd wait for the next one and then I'd start crying all over again. And we would do that till two or three or four in the morning. And then, um, he'd finally, he'd finally calm down for an hour or two and, and we would go to work and, and then we'd start it all over again. And after a few nights of that, then I could finally sleep one night all the way through because I was exhausted. And I'd have to get up in the morning and try to put on some makeup and go out and look like everything was okay. And our family lived 500 miles away. And I didn't have to tell them anything. And we didn't have any friends to the house because there weren't any friends. So I didn't tell them anything. And we became more and more isolated. And I got sicker. And uh, I called Al-Anon back one time to see if they were still there. And they were. You know, and I couldn't go. I just couldn't do it. And um, I used to pray that I would die, you know. It was a sin to want to kill him, so I thought, well, maybe I could just not wake up. And um, one night I laid out all the kitchen knives we'd gotten for a wedding present. And I tried to decide which one would do the right kind of job on me. You know, I didn't want to kill him. I wanted to kill me. And I was I was scared I wouldn't make it and that they'd lock me up. I didn't want to go to a shrink, you know, because I was afraid if they knew what I was thinking that they would they would lock me up somewhere. Mm-hmm. 
I started having a lot of trouble uh, at work. <laughs> it was getting harder to shut the door in the morning and leave it. And I started, uh, I was working at that time um, doing clinics and home visits, and, and I wouldn't remember how I got from one patient's house to the next, and I would be in front of somebody's house crying, and I couldn't stop. And I'd have to try and pull myself together, and I'd be in a clinic, and I'd have to leave because I, I, my chest was hurting, and I was having chest pain, and I was hyperventilating, and I was afraid they were going to start noticing. You know, I worked with a small group of, of nurses, and I was afraid they were going to start knowing that something was wrong and that they were going to get me locked up. And so I got to the uh, 17th of October, and I remember, uh, I remember that day because it was two weeks before my second wedding anniversary. And I looked in the mirror and I said, I can't do this anymore. And I called them one more time and they were still there. And I remember looking in the mirror, getting ready to go to that meeting, trying to, trying to pull myself together because I didn't want to look like there was anything wrong. You know, I don't know what I thought they were doing there, but I didn't want them to know that there was anything wrong in my life. And it was a little, a little town, um, and it was an old river town, uh, Cape Girardeau, Missouri, if anybody's ever been through there. And they had an AA group downtown, an Al-Anon group, and it was in an old building, and it was upstairs, and you had to climb those stairs. Now, I'm not breathing very well. You know, and uh, I remember climbing those stairs, and they seemed like they were five flights instead of one. And the Al-Anon room was immediately to the left, and I managed to get in the door. And there was a big, there were folding tables all in the middle with folding chairs all around, and there was a folding chair right there. And I managed to get in that chair, and that was as far as I could get. And I'm sitting there trying to breathe, trying to be okay. Just, you know, one more time, I feel like I'm in school and please don't call on me. And um, a lady sitting there was talking to somebody and all of a sudden she swings around in her chair and puts her face about, I swear, her nose was on mine, but I don't think it was quite that close. <laughs> and she looked good, and she was dressed nice, and she had makeup on, and she was smiling from ear to ear, and she said, hi, you know, and told me your name, and I, I didn't know what to do with that, you know, <laughs> try to try to smile back, say hi, you know, and tell them your name, and uh, and finally they started this meeting. And I don't really remember anything about that meeting. I guess they read the steps every time because uh, later on that's what they were doing. But I remember that somebody read that first step. And it said we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. And I said, I'm in the right place. 
because my life had become totally unmanageable. You see, this time I wasn't there for him anymore. My life was unmanageable because I hurt. Because I didn't know how to live. And the next thing I remember is that same lady was talking to me and everybody was gone, you know. I sat through the whole meeting and I don't have any idea who was there or, or what they said. And uh, and I was crying and crying and crying and I was telling her that I had an alcoholic at my house. And it was the first time that I admitted it. And she made me a promise that night. She did not promise me that he would get sober. She didn't promise me that my life was going to turn out perfect. But she promised that if I would come back, I would be okay. And so far, that's been true. That was a small town and a small group, and we had meetings every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and I was there every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And I guess they talked about sponsorship in a meeting one of the first nights because within a week or two, I asked that lady to be my sponsor, and I didn't have any idea what that was. But all I knew is that she was happy and that she said she was living with an alcoholic. I found the second part hard to believe, you know. I didn't know how you could be happy living with an alcoholic, but she said she was. And for some reason, I believed what she told me. And she's the one who told me that this program was for myself, that these 12 steps were something that I needed to do, and that I would find the answers here that I needed for my life. And um, she was a, a, a person who believed in going to a lot of conventions and conferences like this. And um, she finally made me so mad that I went. <laughs> you know? Sometimes it was just easier to just do what she said. She was telling me to do a lot of things that I didn't think had anything to do with my life. She told me I was supposed to be praying, and I already knew that God didn't care. You know, I had proof positive that God did not care about my life, and that it was best not to bother him about it. And yet she had me praying, and she told me that it didn't matter what I thought about God, that I was just to keep praying. And that God would take care of the rest. And she talked about God a lot. She told me what he was doing in her life on a day-by-day basis. And I could, after a while, I started to see things that she was telling me, but I still couldn't believe that he would do anything for me. And I don't know about you, but weekends were the worst. You know, we didn't have meetings there on weekends, and I wasn't working so I wasn't out of the house on weekends and weekends were just bad. They were just bad. 
And uh, she told me I was supposed to thank God at night, you know, and for what I don't know. <laughs> and so usually I, she told me I was supposed to be on my knees, but I, I wouldn't do that. I would lay in bed and say, oh, by the way, Susan said I'm supposed to tell you. Thanks. <laughs> that was the best I was going to do. And one Sunday, one Sunday night when I was laying in bed and I was getting ready to say, oh, by the way, it occurred to me that I was all right that day. You know, he wasn't sober. Nothing was any different. But I had had an okay Sunday. And it was the first time that I was willing to get down on my knees again and say thank you. And it was the first time that I knew God was doing something for me. I went to a convention about every two months that first year. And uh, we went to Little Rock, Arkansas. We went to uh, Eureka Springs. We went uh, lots of different places. And uh, she told me another thing I was supposed to do. You know, and I started feeling better. And uh, and I started laughing again. And uh, she told me I was supposed to pray about that marriage. And she was she told me what I should do is pray for God's will to be done for him and for me, and and let God take that marriage and that relationship and let it be what He wanted, and show me the truth. And I thought that's that's no problem. I can do that. You know. I know that God's will is for him to get sober and for us to start having those kids. <laughs> Simple to me. So I just prayed right along. And uh, that year in July, they had a, a conference in Crested Butte, Colorado. And I made plans to go to that, and I and I went. And I had always wanted to go to Colorado, and I wanted to see the mountains. And, and it was... Um, it was a gift from God, I think. And it was a beautiful time. And uh, I think I was crazier than could be. But I was just having i was just having a great time. And when I got on the um, plane to come home, um, everything got messed up. The flights were delayed. The luggage was lost. You know, everything was just... Everything was a mess. And I got into the airport in St. Louis at 12 o'clock at night, uh, got a shuttle to my car, and drove another two hours to my home. And the whole trip home, even though it was a mess, I felt like it didn't matter because everything going on was exactly the way God wanted it. And it was the first time when I got home that I wasn't scared to walk in the door. And it was the first time I knew in my gut that I was going to be okay. A month later, we went to a little anniversary out of town and uh, prayed that prayer one more time. And I got the answer for that marriage. And that answer was that it was over. 
And I didn't, then I thought, well, now what am I going to do, you know? And she was moving back to Fort Worth, Texas. And she said, if you want to, just come with me. So on, uh, that was on Saturday, and on Sunday I slipped back to my house and stole the clo- my clothes out of the closet, quit my job on Monday, and I drove to Fort Worth, Texas on Thursday. <laughs> my oldest brother thought that, thought that I had joined a cult. <laughs> so I felt it wise not to discuss the prayers in the parking lot. And um, I assured him that I was going to be okay. He called me every week for three months till I got a job, and then he quit. And uh, um, I, when I drove into Fort Worth, I knew that I'd come home. And uh, and I felt that way about about that city ever since. Um, I had never. I had decided that I would never leave and go back, that if I ever left, that that was going to be it, because I knew from my past by that time that that was my pattern. My old way is to is to leave and go back, and I had to do it different, but if I was going to leave, it had to be because it was over. Uh, it took a year to get that divorce, and you know, when I got to Fort Worth, I thought I died and gone to heaven. They had meetings every day. I mean, every day. And I was there every day. And it was wonderful, and I got a chance um, to see more people and bigger meetings, and, and it was wonderful, and it was a wonderful time for me. Um During that first year, that sponsor took me through those steps. You know, I always thought that I was not an angry person. <laughs> you know? And yet I remember standing in front of his chair while he was passed out, of course, <laughs> shaking my fist in his face. You know? And thinking, if only... I had a baseball bat. <laughs> you know, like I had when we were kids, those nice wooden ones. He had bad knees and had had several surgeries. <laughs> and he used to complain about his knees and I used to sit there and think, oh honey, I could give you something to complain about. And I could just, I thought if I could just beat those knees until they never walk again. You know, but I wasn't angry. I was not angry. And I remember one time when he was, when he was in a blackout, um, that I found him at the top of the basement stairs, kind of weaving. And I thought, this wouldn't take much. Just a little flick. They'd never prove anything. (laughs) We could go to bed and check on him in the morning. (laughs) Either way, whether he lived or died, it wouldn't have mattered, you know. He'd be out of the house for a few days. And, uh, And I got to see that I was indeed very angry. 
And God has been gentle and God has been good. He's shown me those defects one at a time when I've been able to see them. You know, it's been an incredible journey since that that night in October. Um, I found a friend in Fort Worth, somebody that was a lot of fun to, to be with. And um, he was somebody that knew me when I was really yucky, you know. And so it was it was pretty comfortable to be with him. And when he divorced, we got married. And we caused quite a stir in Fort Worth and a few other places, I understand. And that was 10 years ago, his last New Year's Eve. And uh, he's my best friend. And when I left that that alcoholic, I thought that I was leaving a home and uh, leaving everything that I thought I would ever have. And instead, God has replaced that with a uh, with a man who is um, the best husband I think I could ever have had. And we have a we have a nice little house, and uh, we have a stockade fence around the back. It's not picket stockade. Everybody has stockade fences, and uh, and it's a wonderful place to come home to. And one of the miracles that God gave me in this program, you know, for several years, um, I still wanted those kids. And I thought um, everybody was pregnant. Everybody had babies. You know, when you want something, everybody's got it but you. And uh, when Jim and I married, uh, we knew that we couldn't have any children. And God finally removed that from me, removed the pain. You see, I believe that God gives you the desires of your heart or else he'll change those desires and heal the pain. We've had lots of good times since I've been in the program and since we've been together. But we've had uh, a lot of ups and downs, too. And a few years ago, we uh, uh, started having little heart problems at our house. And, you know, I don't, I'm a nurse, but I don't like cardiac patients. (laughs) You know, they're unpredictable. You never can see anything. You know, today I work in an operating room and you see stuff, you know, and you can fix it. And these cardiac people, they just, they say, oh, I don't, I feel funny, you know. And there's nothing you can look at. And, uh, and uh, so we've been through quite a, quite a time with that. And a year ago, uh, this coming week, uh, Jim had open heart surgery. And I have to say that 97 was probably 
um, for me, one of the worst years that I've had in this program. Um, I have been uh, probably about as scared as I've been since I've been here. And yet, through the whole thing, God gave me exactly who I needed. He put people in my life that were exactly who I needed to sit with me, um, to talk with me, to be with me. And that's a gift. And, uh, and today we're here with you. And that's a gift. Um, I know that people come and go in this program, and um, last year we had people leave, too. And I hate that. I always hate that. But I know that this is a place for people that want it, not for people that I think need it. And uh, when I go to a meeting and when I talk to another Al-Anon, I'm reminded of that. And that's what I need to be reminded of over and over. You see, I have more alcoholics in my life today than I ever had when I got here. (laughs) You know? And I love them all, and I get attached to them. And, uh, And I don't like it when they don't come back. And I don't like it when the Alanites don't come back either. You see, I know that I can return anytime I choose to the life that I used to live. And today I don't choose to do that. God has given me many, many blessings. And along the way, he's He's put in people that are here this weekend that I get to see again. And that's special. It's been good to be with you this morning. It's been good to remember. I need to remember where I came from so I don't ever have to go back. And I need to celebrate where we are today. And I thank you all for coming. Um, I'm looking forward to the rest of the conference. Our speaker last night was was great. And uh, I'm looking forward to spending the rest of the time with you and sharing with you. And I love you and thank you very much.